Well, today is the last official sermon, apart from next Sunday, which today we'll finish out chapter 7, but next week, in 30 minutes, I'm going to go through the entire Sermon on the Mount. Because I was trying to figure out and, and take a look at the text and say what, what, what really stood out. And I kept coming up at a loss as what to pick. So what I'm going to do is, uh, and it can be done, is I'm going to highlight every section with one uh, specific truth that we can hold on to, that we can remember. Uh, because everything that Jesus spoke to in this sermon was of eternal significance. Uh, because it sp- spoke to how men could be right with God, uh, the fact that uh, we cannot do that in and of ourselves, uh, that it only comes through Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to take a look at the last two verses of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and I'd like to go ahead and just reread those uh, as Dwayne read them this morning, uh, because they are pretty profound words. They're, they're words that you may think that, well, this is kind of... You know, figuring out one more thing to add on to the sermon. Uh, because these are not actually words that Jesus spoke. It says that when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. See, these are the final moments of Jesus speaking. He has already communicated the truth to them. Uh, and so as with any teacher... Uh, every teacher, as they spend time preparing, as they uh, take the time to to share what they've learned or to share a truth, always wants to have a, a good response uh, for people to engage, uh, hopefully not to put their students to sleep. Uh, and the, I'm sure that there probably was people that on that hillside, if the sun was right and uh, things were good, they probably did fall asleep. But the thing is, is that there was many. Uh, as it says here, it says the crowds were astonished at his teaching. And the, the interesting thing is here is this Greek word, astonished, uh, ekpleso, uh, is actually or literally means to strike out, to force out by a blow, by found only in the sense of knocking one out of his senses or self-possession. I think it's an interesting translation of that word because, you know, we just look at that word astonished and think, well, they just were amazed at what he had to say. But in Greek here, there's a powerful meaning to that word to the point where it literally knocked them out of their senses, that they were knocked out of their self-possession, which is really what Jesus spoke to in the Sermon on the Mount. He was talking about this self-righteousness that the, the religious leaders were putting forth and were teaching the people that this is what you have to do to, in order to be made right with God when really all it was was a misdirection, a lie. And so his words came forth with such power, uh, with such impact, that it literally knocked them out of their senses. Now, I mean, there may be a sense in which some of you sitting here today might be feeling that way in relation to uh, the election this past week that you've been knocked out of your senses, uh, and maybe for good reason, uh, because it's, it's unnerving to not know, uh, and it's unnerving to see so many things going on. But this week pales in comparison to what Jesus Christ accomplished uh, because of who he is. Uh, and I'm going to speak to that, and you know, as you think about this, what, what made it so that they were so astonished? 
What knocked them out of their senses? What uh, caused them to lay aside their own self-possession, their own selfishness, their own selfish nature, uh, as it were, to replace it with something profound? Well, I think it's a difference between a truth and a lie. Because Jesus was speaking the truth. Um, As we read in John chapter 8, starting in verse 42, it says, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and you will do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. See, this is speaking to the religious leaders, and as they are communicating what they uh, believe, because they're so self-possessed with themselves, uh, and what they have, you know, basically replaced God's law with in order to, you know, uh, attain a self-righteousness of their own making, a works-based salvation, uh, that uh, they are just really reflecting who's their father, and that is the devil. Uh, And it says here that the devil was not only a murderer from the beginning because he murdered the truth, because he lied to Adam and Eve. Uh, The fact is, is that those who are fallen, those who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, those who do not hear God's words and obey them, as we've spoken to in past weeks, uh, they are the ones that do not have any truth in them. Uh, Because the truth comes from God, because God is truth. Uh, and so uh, the, the the religious leaders are, you know, living out before the people exactly who they are. And the thing is, is that it says there, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So Jesus was different than the scribes of, of their day. And the scribes were the ones who studied the law and actually transcribed it. You know, and keeping it, you know, true to the the text so that people would uh, be able to have access to the the word of God. And the fact is, is that the scribes uh, in their their teaching uh, were not communicating the truth uh, because there was no power there because the word was not living and active because it was man's word. It wasn't God's. And see, the thing is, the reason why I believe that they were so astonished is because of what Jesus said in uh, John chapter 8, a few verses earlier in verses 31 and 32. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, the truth does have the power to set people free. Because the, the fact is, is that we all desire to have that need, that spiritual need, fulfilled. And the problem is, is that mankind looks everywhere but where they should. And we know that that's because they're dead in their trespasses and sins. They have no desire for spiritual things. But even when the truth is, is communicated to them, short of God opening their eyes to the truth to receive it so that that truth can actually set them free from the bondage of sin, to set them free from being enslaved to sin, to set them free from their father who is the devil, who is a liar from the beginning, can only be done by the very power of God 
in God's truth going forth. And so as Jesus said these words, this is what astonished the crowd so much, that he spoke with this authority that literally knocked them out of their senses. In other words, they had a, a proverbial truth, you know, six by six, that smacked them upside their head for them to see the fact that they needed a Savior. I like what it says in Psalm 119, 160. It says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. See, because God's truth is eternal. It's not something that as men were writing down these things pertaining to God, that that's when they came into existence. Because everything that we have revealed in relation to who God is, is eternally revealed. Because it is the eternal God that is speaking to, and it's the eternal God who gave it to us. And so as we take a look at this and we see the fact that Jesus was unlike all of the other teachers of their day, that he spoke with such power, with such conviction, with such authority, that it literally knocked people to their senses. Because God opened their eyes to the truth so that that truth could set them free. So I'd like to speak um, for the remaining uh, portion of our time together uh, by going and, and speaking to two actual subjects. One um, will take us to Luke chapter 20. Because the thing is you need to understand is that the authority of Jesus Christ was constantly challenged. Because the religious leaders didn't like what he had to say. And that is of, of you know, uh, it's understandable. Because they were liars. And they did not know the truth. And therefore, as Jesus spoke the truth, uh, the, the truth showed them for what they truly were, even as Jesus was on that mount, so that people saw that they were not as the, that Jesus wasn't as the scribes and the religious leaders. He was profoundly different. And so I'd like to take a look at Luke chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Uh, it says, One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who it is that gave you this authority. He answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So this passage here is actually an account that is in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke here in the text I just read. And I think it's there for a reason because it's of utmost importance for us to understand that the religious leaders did not accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah. They did not accept Jesus Christ as the Son of God. The religious leaders did not accept Jesus Christ as an authority that could speak truth because he was speaking something different than what they were used to. It was contrary to all of the laws that the religious leaders had put into play. See, Matthew was to a Jewish audience, Mark to a Roman audience, and Luke to a broader Gentile audience. And see, I think all those groups are represented there so that everyone would know who Jesus Christ is. 
that he is the Son of God, that he does speak with authority because uh, he is the ultimate authority, the ultimate source of truth. And those asking the questions, as you take a look at the, the text here, it says, uh, uh, speaks to the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. The, this is the Jewish heads of state. Uh, these are not, um, you know, just some lackeys that have come to, to listen in and, and to make an assent, uh, uh, assessment of what Jesus is speaking to. Because you have the chief priests, which would have been all those from the tribe of Levi that were set apart uh, to, to be uh, uh, God's priest for the people. Uh, the high priest would have been a part of that. Uh, the one who was able to enter the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, to sprinkle the blood of the sacrificed animals on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of those, uh, uh, actually for his sins and for the sins of the people as well. So even in the chief priest, as you have here, we're not talking about someone who is not important. These are the people that are supposed to be, you know, representing to be that go-between, as it were, uh, to offer those sacrifices in the Holy of Holies to make atonement. And the scribes, those I've already mentioned to you, are the ones who studied the law and transcribed it. And then you've got the elders as well, which would have been those who served in the Sanhedrin as rulers, uh, who acted as the Supreme Court. So, as you can see, this is a, a very prestigious, you know, at least in the eyes of man, group of, of uh, men that are coming to question Jesus. And they find themselves in that proverbial catch-22. Because as you see, as Jesus, you know, turns the tables on them because, you know, they're trying to figure out by what authority Jesus does these things. Because if it's from God that he's able to do this because he is God, then that poses a problem. You know, and if it is from, you know, um, someone else, man, who gave him this authority, then they also have another problem, but one that they could easily, you know, deal with. You know, and so the question was put forth, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And see, in order for you to understand what this question from the, the, the mindset of Jesus and what he's trying to put forth here is the fact that John's baptism was not part of the prescribed ritual under the Levitical law. This is not something that they did. And so what John was doing was something, you know, groundbreaking, as it were, to actually do, uh, to, to have a baptism. And the thing was, John was not a priest. And all the ceremonial washings would have been done, you know, uh, in light of what the Levitical law had put forth. So here's John, not a priest, but he actually baptized people. So what's going on here? So Jesus is really putting forth to them something that they're going to have to grapple with and to actually, you know, make a response to. And the thing is, as we know scripturally, ultimately all authority comes from God because God's sovereign over all. And then underneath of that, man is given authority to, to do things as God permits. Uh, and so the, the question here, as they're trying to figure out whose authority Jesus is actually doing and saying all these things, Jesus is turning the tables back on them so that ultimately uh, they have to answer the question, is John doing this uh, as someone from, you know, uh, under God, or is it from man himself? Because you'll notice there it says in, in verse 5, if we say from heaven, or i.e. God, then Jesus would say, why did you not believe him? Okay, so here they, they already realize that option number one is, is that if, if they do admit 
that John is doing this as a result of it coming from heaven, that he is actually a prophet uh, of God, bringing forth God's truth to God's people. You know, after this, this entire 400 years of silence, as we see the Son of God come on the scene, they go on to speak amongst themselves in, in verse 6 and says, if we say um, from man uh, or, or from John himself, then all the people will stone us to death for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So there really wasn't, at least in their minds, an option they could pick. And you'll notice what they did. They, they actually together answered that they did not know where it came from which is a bold-faced lie because it came from the father of lies because they don't want to admit the fact that God would be doing something different, that what they've been teaching the people was something that was not right. And so the fact is, is they were not interested in the truth at all. Jesus silenced them uh, because he, as we read back in John chapter 8, he said, you're of your father, the devil, and Jesus knew that. Uh, he, he knew that ultimately they were opposed to God's authority because they had become an authority themselves. They had chosen uh, in and of their own accord to take the position of God, to say this is how things are in, pertaining to God. This is how you're supposed to live. This is what you're supposed to, to say and what to do. And this is how you're supposed to do it. So the authority of Jesus Christ was challenged even there, and he was able to very quickly silence them. Because the truth is, is that the baptism of John was from God. Because John was sent as that forerunner of Jesus Christ coming. And that baptism that was shown forth there was to be a picture of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, something that we, even in our church today, uh, something that we do as an outward sign of what Christ has done on the inside, that he's taken us from being spiritually dead and raised us to walk in newness of life. And that's what Jesus was putting forth. But those who are dead, those who are liars, don't want to hear the truth. And that's where the religious leaders were. And so that's how Jesus was able to silence them. And so they were content to continue to be deceivers and to be those who deceived and so in our final moments, as we close out the Sermon on the Mount, and I think this is important, too, for us to realize, because I really believe that the, as we take a look at the entire Sermon on the Mount, that it is all about the supremacy of Jesus Christ, that he is the one who makes salvation possible, because he came as the Son of God. And the thing is, as Jesus came and as he uh, walked this earth, people were divided as to who Jesus was. You know, if you look at John chapter 7, which we're not going to take the time to look at this morning, it says in there that some were amazed. Some thought that he was a prophet. Some thought that he was the Christ. Some even said that no one ever spoke like this man. And there's reason for that, because he is the Son of God. And he came to share and to reveal who God is and to reveal our sin for what it truly is an outright rebellion before God. Some wanted to arrest him because they did not agree with what he had to say. And the thing is, is, you know, we realize that those who stand for the gospel truth uh, throughout the world, many 
are arrested. Many are killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. And see, the thing is, is that the response to the gospel message, the response to Jesus Christ has not changed since Jesus walked the earth. Men reject it because they don't want to hear the truth. They would rather believe a lie. But see, this biblical doctrine in relation to the supremacy of Christ is essential to how we envision and actually worship Christ. Because if you do not see Christ as supreme over all, then there's no way that you're going to be able to worship him in spirit and in truth. You need to see Jesus Christ for who he truly is, to be like those that were on that mount that were astonished at his teaching, that the word of God is living and active, that is God revealing himself to mankind. No, by definition, the word supreme, if you go to dictionary.com, this is what it defines supreme as. And I want you to think of this in relation to Christ. Supreme is the highest in rank or authority. Jesus is the highest in rank and authority. Paramount, sovereign, chief, of the highest quality, degree, character, importance. The greatest, the utmost, the extreme, the last or final, the ultimate. That's Jesus Christ in every aspect. See, Jesus is supreme in every way, in every aspect. And when we see him as he is, as he revealed himself, as he came and walked amongst us to offer himself as that sacrifice, when your eyes have been opened up from believing the lie to seeing the truth of who Jesus is, to see that you need a savior, that you cannot save yourself, that a self-righteousness will get you nowhere except a one-way ticket on that broad path to destruction, as Jesus pointed out in the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to leave you with three things to excite you spiritually, for you to embrace this week, to have a, a, another focus, because there's a lot going on in our country right now. And the thing is, is we need to remember who we are. We need to step back and see and to hear the one who spoke with authority, the one who is the Son of God. So the first text I'd like you uh, to actually turn to, uh, if you have your Bibles, if not, I'll be reading it to you as well, is Colossians chapter 2. Because the first thing that you need to see in relation to Jesus being supreme in every way and every aspect is because first and foremost, Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. And I'd like you to listen to the words here in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6, going to verse 9. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Do you see, this is something that's defining who we are. Anyone who has received Jesus Christ, anyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are to be walking in him, rooted and built up in him, established in our faith, just as you've been taught. Because you know what? We have the word of God right here. This is what is our teacher. And abounding in thanksgiving. What a blessing it is to have our eyes open to the truth. Verse 8 says, see to it 
that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, which this is exactly what the religious leaders of Jesus' day did. It was man's philosophy, man's idea as to what salvation looks like, what it means to be right before God. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Do you see the stark contrast? Verse 9, and this is the one to grab hold of. For in him, for in Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, because he is the Son of God. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. That's Jesus Christ. That's who you trust for your salvation, to bring you home, to, to make good on that gift of eternal life, to trust him all the way until the end. That is who you have been filled in. He's filled you. He's given you something that you did not have that was, was empty and voided because of sin. Jesus took that away when you trust him as you repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in him. For in him, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. So he is not some copy. He is God. Second, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Turning over to Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and I'll read through verse 4. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, which as you remember, the prophets were the ones who communicated God's truth to God's people. So it says, long ago, and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature because he is God. He did not become God. He was not created. He, has, or he is God from eternity. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Did you catch all those words? He was appointed heir of all things. It is through him that everything was created. He is the radiance or the beaming of the glory of God the exact imprint of his nature, making purification for sins because he is the only one who can, because he is the sinless son of God, the lamb of God, who offered himself the redeemer, the savior, Emmanuel. And he, was, he has a name that is more excellent than even the angels themselves because we know the angels are created. But his name is, as we know from Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. And is that the name of Jesus that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is Jesus Christ who is God. That is Jesus who is the radiance of the glory of God. And finally, 
So as you see both of those working together, that Jesus is preeminent over all. Which takes us back to Colossians, but chapter 1, starting in verse 15. More beautiful language. He, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This doesn't mean that he is, and has been used by many to say that Jesus is created. He is the firstborn of all creation as the one who was first raised from the dead. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, and those are words you should underline, highlight, box in, that in everything he might be preeminent. He is the only one that can be that person, to be God's son, the one who is preeminent, which means first in rank, influence, and dignity. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That is who we love That is the one who offered himself, Jesus Christ, the one who is supreme above all. That is why they were astonished as he taught, because he taught with the authority of God himself, because he is God. And that even as he walked in human form, he was still the one who is the radiance of the glory of God. A glory that no one can look upon as Moses found out, and even just catching a corner left his face glowing. Jesus is preeminent over all because he speaks the truth, 100% absolute truth that nothing can change. That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and the message that he spoke that was contrary to the religious leaders of his day, that was contrary to the philosophies of men, was transforming in such a way that those who had their eyes open to spiritual things realized that each and every day is a gift from God and that we were created to worship him in spirit and in truth. And even as men seek to challenge the authority of Jesus Christ, the authority of his church, which I will even go to the point of saying that even in this last week, the governor of our state put forth a 10-page paper trying to be spiritual in making a bridge across all religions that if we truly loved the people that were under our care, that we would basically not meet. That is someone who, in his own given authority, thinks he knows what the church is all about. But he, like the religious leaders, is, is no doubt dead in his trespasses and sins because he doesn't understand why we get together. We get together because Jesus Christ has freed us by the eternal truth that no one and no under, no name under heaven that is given among men by which we must be saved, Jesus Christ, God's Son.
We can't not meet. I don't know if I just said that right or not. We have to meet. There, I'll just do it that way. Because this is who we serve. A God who turned our world inside out, upside down, and helped us to see just how foolish we were in our sins. I trust that each and every one of you know the one I'm talking about today. And if you don't, today is the day of salvation. Trust Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Do not trust in your own works, in your own goodness to save you because it will not. Only Jesus Christ saves because he is God's son. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Father, I thank you that we have your word, your revelation to us, that you want us to know who you are, that you do not lie to us, that you do not withhold the truth from us, that you speak the truth in love, with clarity, with authority, and no one can change that truth, which brings an ultimate comfort to everyone who knows you, that no matter how hard man may try to undo or erase or suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Your truth is eternal. And one day, everyone, no matter who they are, man, woman, or child, will stand before the throne. The throne that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of even now, who has been given a name above all names, that at his name every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord all to your glory. Lord, we, we welcome that day. But Lord, too, our hearts break for those who don't know your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray for each one that's here today, Lord, if they do not know your son, Jesus Christ, that they would fall at the foot of the cross. Because if they don't fall at the foot of the cross now, there's one day will that when their knees will bow. And it'll be too late because judgment will already have been passed. Lord, we thank you for celebrating the supremacy of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is the exact imprint, that he is the radiance of your glory because he is your son, because he is God. Thank you that he walked the earth. Thank you for the salvation that we enjoy. And I pray as we we spend a few moments together lifting our voices as we are reminded of these truths, that it would fill our hearts and our minds with those things which are right and just and honorable and pleasing in your sight. And we pray these things in Jesus. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, We look at uh, Colossians 1 that he was just preaching in, and he was sharing with us all the beautiful things about who Christ is And it says in verse 21 of Colossians 1, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Let's sing this song. Praise the one who breaks the darkness to a familiar hymn tune as we um, recall to mind who Christ is and why we have been redeemed.
God's people said, Amen. Amen. I'm well, glad you were able to join us today for worship and trust that this has been a time for you to deepen in your love for the Lord, uh, to see who Jesus Christ truly is, and to be thankful for the salvation that we have through him.